Welcome to the 11th episode of the Women in CX podcast, a series dedicated to real talk conversations between women and customer experience. Listen in as we share our career stories, relive the moments that shaped us and voice our opinions as loudly as we like about all manner of CX subjects. I'll be your host, Claire Muscat, and in today's episode, we'll be talking about one woman's journey from the days before CX was even a thing and her vision to unite web design and usability. Let me introduce you to today's inspiring guest. She comes all the way from the home of Silicon Valley, San Francisco, California, and during her 25 plus years working as a woman in tech, she spent time with a variety of companies, including Microsoft, startups, and her own business, and is now the Director of Creative Services at Boutique Management Consultancy Beyond the Arc. Please welcome to the show, CX sister, Gavin James. Hey, Gavin. Hey, good morning. How are you? Uh, fabulous. How are you? Fantastic, here, And thank you so much to all the listeners. Um, so, Gavin, let's get straight in there, shall we? Sure. Great. So, I don't know if you remember, but when we met during lockdown, it was just at the time around George Floyd's murder and the world was going crazy. And you and I connected over this sense of... Um, the social injustice but also the need for connection right sure um so I I think I just would really love to kind of go back to where we left that conversation where we started talking about for us personally we had this shared experience of our greatest lessons coming not from the awesome times where we were really successful (laughs) but actually through some of the difficulties and um um, if that's okay with you absolutely awesome okay um, so I love your mantra of putting a lot of love in and wanting a lot of love back. And I think that topic would be a really great starting point for today. So let's go. Okay. But before we begin, actually, I'm, I'm sure the listeners are all wondering. Um, I, doubt, I doubt they've met a girl called Gavin either, and I never had. Please do tell what is the story behind your name, Gavin? <laughs> well, I can thank my warrior mom. Um, she grew up with a Scottish grandmother and kind of learned to love uh, everything about Celtic history. And Gavin is a famous Celtic warrior. I think he was one of the Knights of the Round Table. And she had always said, you know, I think you're going to be a, I knew you'd be a special baby. You have to have a special name and uh, going to give you a warrior name. And I know you can live up to it. Love it. So I hope I have. <laughs> Yeah, oh, that's so cool. Um, and did you like grow up getting asked that question constantly? Why are you called Gavin? <laughs> Most people would say that's a boy's name, you know, and that yeah. was always kind of frustrating. But um, I don't think I ever confused anyone in person. No. <laughs> there was definitely lots of times, you know, in, in a working environment that you only deal with people in email, right? And then I'd show up in their office and they'd say, and you are, and I'd go, ah. I'm Gavin. <laughs> Yeah, I, I have to say, I think that would have fooled me. I would have made the assumption that <laughs> Gavin was probably going to be a boy. Um, so I know you've got a really inspiring career story. Um, you started out at Microsoft. You started your own tech company and eventually struck out on your own as a consultant. How exactly did that path evolve and what did you learn about yourself along the way? Well, it actually started a lot of years, probably 20 years even before Microsoft, um, doing a lot of different things in, in the earliest days of tech, which really kind of dates me, but, um, and then going into 
dropping out of that, I'd learned a lot about running small businesses and decided to go into uh, launch a children's clothing company when I was working for a, a tech startup that went under. And I'd always been involved in the design side of the house um, in addition to the writing side. Then I had this children's clothing company for four years and that um, taught me very quickly that this is not about designing this cute thing, which we also learned that in CX too. It is about marketing and project management mm -hmm. and you have to get that right. Um, and sometimes you have to just learn what you learn along the way and try to um, you know, fight the good fight, right? Mm -hmm. So after killing myself doing that for four years, I decided I wanted to go back into tech but at that point, the internet was just getting started and I knew that I couldn't just do writing. It would have to be really creative. Mm -hmm. So I taught myself everything about uh, web design and graphic tools as they became available and all that stuff. And that was how I ended up getting uh, started working with a tech startup that was doing web animation at the very, very beginning mm -hmm. of this. They were bought by Microsoft. So that's how I got to Microsoft. Um, <laughs> I had a number, so then I went to Microsoft and I had a couple of careers there. Um, at first, mostly on the writing side of the house where I managed all the user assistance um, for our software product. And even then, I was starting to see like, you know, you, you can't just be focused on the technology. You have to be focused on the user. I was responsible for making sure people could figure out how to learn and use this stuff. And I could basically wow. work with the developers and say, you know, this is going to be too much words for me to talk about it, to explain it, and too hard for anyone to learn it. That means we're going to have to adjust to make it more usable. Well, you know, usability was kind of the problem child back then. This is the earliest days when it was never even called customer experience, you know, and uh, I was really kind of trying to fight that good fight. So then after a while, I left that group and decided I wanted to work on the design side of the house and help with information design and say, okay, how can we make it easier for people to learn and, and use these things by making information, just really understanding how people take in information, how they're emotionally feeling about things when they're going through a learning process, which happens every day in CX now, right? Mm -hmm. So I did a lot of research uh, to, to build out a bunch of innovative ideas. And my boss at the time had been at the company for 20 years. And she said, hey, present this out to a bunch of leadership. So I did. And uh, everyone kind of had sort of glazed over eyes. <laughs> and uh, I talked to my boss after that and she said, you know, this is really cool, but it's about five years ahead of its time. Nobody's ready for it yet. Wow. And I thought, you know what? I know this is important and I know it's gonna be a thing. And that is where I'm headed. And 20 years later, you know, being an uh, empathetic customer experience is what everybody's talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of what started me on this path. Um, there was also a lot of negative dramas that happened being in an environment where it's really about ego and empire building, which mm -hmm. I'm sure um, a lot of us, particularly women in CX, have encountered, right? Mm -hmm. um, so that was kind of one of the things that's pinged my mantra but then right after that i went and helped launch a tech startup and you know we're all killing ourselves seven days a week and everything but then eventually the ceo and founder he kind of gets a napoleon complex and doesn't want to listen to anybody when we're saying hey this is unusable we're never going to be able to sell this it's great technology it's too too complicated wouldn't listen to anybody basically i get scapegoated you know, saying, well, there must be something wrong. I'm not 
training well enough or I'm not marketing it well enough or whatever. It's somehow my fault. It's not the software's fault. Uh, so I decided, you know what? Screw that. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to go and do my own thing because I know that I'm not making this up. Uh, I'm not dreaming this. And um, so when I left there, that was kind of where I decided, you know what? I do put a lot of love in and I want a lot of love back. I put the best of my brought a lot to the table. I brought a lot of value to the table, uh, a lot of good experience. And there were people around me who agreed with me. Mm -hmm. uh, but clearly, I was working in an environment with people that just didn't honor that. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that a lot of people, but especially women, yourself included, has encountered that, right? So um, when I set that mantra, I decided that has to be the true north of my compass. And it's not just it's partly, it's how I get treated. It's the kind of clients I attract. It's the kind of work I get to do. Um, it's how I get compensated. It's that I don't have to chase clients to pay the bill, that they're going to be fine paying me. You know, as a consultant, that's mission critical, right? Mm -hmm. So that's kind of brought me full circle to, you know, a lot of the consulting that I do today. And fortunately, setting that, that mantra has served me well because now it's been 15 years and it's always worked for me. Mm, mm. So, so much that resonated with me and what you talked about then um I guess like it's really cool to meet somebody that was there kind of at the beginning at the birth of some of these technologies that have shaped the world as they are today and I can imagine being told you know I've been told myself you're way before your time with some of my CX thinking I can imagine what that must have been like for you kind of before CX was even a thing saying <laughs> you know if you can unite product design and coding and user usability as it was called then together we could make something that will sell Mr. CEO and then being kind of minimized by <laughs> that person um, must have been I guess really difficult at, at that time because well for a number of reasons but also because there was nobody else out there I guess with the same point of view as you whereas now there's loads of us that talk about CX right and yeah. if we we can share those frustrations with each other but I can imagine at the time that must have been really difficult um for you so so you said that I think just maybe to kind of clarify that is that since you discovered your own true north and you let it guide you what that's attracted is great energy and the right people that you want to work with but it's also prevented a lot of negative stuff like for example, people not paying you or not being kind in terms of their terms. Is that right? Well, yes. And it doesn't mean that I was immune, right? Um, mm -hmm. I definitely had some really challenging times. You know, uh, one of the other lessons that I had learned was really paying close attention to how people communicate in their earliest communications mm -hmm. uh, when you first start dealing with someone. And... Um, I'll go out on a limb here and say, I think women are a little bit better with the intuition side of the house. So we detect that a little bit better. Um, but, you know, we're also trying to be nice, peacekeepers, get along, do all that stuff. We let a lot of things slide, right? But in those earliest communications, I learned to really pay attention because there, if there was something off, if you felt like they weren't very considerate, they were flaky or they were condescending or whatever it was, right? They were showing you what it's going to be like to, to work with them, to mm -hmm. deal with them. And that was always right. And um, on a few occasions, though, there was a, an exception where I met a people that I call shapeshifters. And that was, you know, the people that are really super nice to your face, but they're 
trying to get something for nothing. They're trying to get a lot of your goodwill out of you. Um, but then all of a sudden, you know, they're not really coming through with paying you or whatever. And I'm sure a lot of uh, entrepreneurs encounter this. And the trick is that to recognize it very early on. That was the, another painful lesson because I realized, okay, I know my worth. I got to own my worth and not be giving away something for nothing unless I'm knowingly going in to do like a pro bono thing to help someone, right? Um, and that's, you know, again, as an entrepreneur in particular, but as a woman in business, you have to learn not to, I hate to say be a victim, but not to let your, your generous spirit and your good nature and your sense of wanting to keep the peace with everybody, right? You don't mm -hmm. want to let that overtake what's really um, a better sound business decision, which is, you know, recognizing and your intuition says something's off here. Um, this is not healthy for me and not healthy for my business. So, you know, I'm not going to yeah. go down that road. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's definitely something that you get wise to through painful experience. <laughs> I, I don't know if you saw the post that I shared in, on LinkedIn this week uh, about someone doing exactly that to me in my like first year in business they convinced me to work without a purchase order on a project oh, right. that was yes. um and then about week four started sexually harassing me started sending me like naughty messages and stuff uh, when I told them to stop they pulled the plug took the work I'd done and didn't give me a cent not a penny uh, uh, but because I didn't have any contracts in place um or I didn't have a leg to stand on but that taught me a hell of a lot about protecting yourself with clear contracts and boundaries but also oh, yeah. like there was loads of red flags right from the start with the guy and I just ignored them my intuition didn't I was like oh yes I could see the prize of the money I just ignored, <laughs> right. ignored the warning signs um, because I was so keen to get the work but never again will I <laughs> yeah, it's, it's <laughs> a price to pay right I mean some of my biggest life lessons at this point in my life you know I'm 20 years out of you right and I still mm -hmm. I'm seeing that the price I've paid for not listening to my intuition. It wasn't that I didn't see it. A lot mm -hmm. of people say, oh, wow, I didn't even know it was coming. It's like, no, that's not it. I saw it. I knew. Mm -hmm. But either I let other things outweigh it or maybe I thought, oh, well, I can handle it. Um, but your intuition never lies. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just one of those things that comes up even in business with clients. You know, there was definitely times where there – where intuition also is a, a valuable gift, you know, a, a value add you're bringing to the table with a client because sometimes I think I'm, I'm spending more time talking clients out of something than into it because maybe they think, hey, we heard about X and we think we really need to do this. But then you want to talk with them and say, and even in CX, you, you say, in theory, that's a fantastic road to take, right? Mm -hmm. But this is what it's going to involve. Do you really have the time and resources to make this happen? Because if you don't, mm -hmm. then you may be doing your business a disservice because you may not be able to show up in a way that is going to be meaningful for customers. And that will end up making you look worse. Mm -hmm. I get you. So thinking about kind of your journey to where you are now and making those different difficult decisions, listening to your intuition, that kind of thing. Um, I'd read in the chapter that you wrote for a book about the point in your life where you decided to end your marriage and return to San Francisco. Um, what made you decide to put yourself first in that scenario? Because I think for a lot of women, um, the prospect of walking away from 
that amount of uh, security and settlement with another human. <laughs> I know um, the conversations I have is that's a very frightening prospect, even if it's the right thing to do. What was that like for you? I think for me, uh, you know, what comes to mind is there's a, a line in one of my favorite movies, Out of Africa. And at one point, she's kind of trying to coax him into her desire for marriage and he's a very free spirit he says i don't want to wake up one day and find i'm at the end of someone else's life mm-hmm. and i really came to that point of seeing you know there's that point where especially as women i think we want to it's very slippery slope between giving of ourselves without giving up ourselves and i definitely had crossed over that boundary too much for myself where I'm feeling like I'm living this other person's life. I'm helping him solve all of his problems in and running my own show. And um, I sort of felt like, okay, I've paid my dues. I've done this long enough. I don't think this is needs to be my job for the next 50 years, right? Uh, there, I don't want to have a different kind of life I want to be living and this is not it. <laughs> So uh, I, you know, we had talked about moving back to California uh, for a long time just to be somewhere warmer. We were living in Seattle and I was pretty miserable there, but he kept prolonging it, prolonging it, prolonging it. And I, you know, I just knew that when I got back into California was that I was happy here. I was never happy up there. And I could see that probably never going to be happy in that situation. And there's a point where, as you say, you finally decide it's great to love other people, but sometimes you have to love yourself just a little bit more and you have to choose yourself. Uh, and that, that idea that I don't want to end up being at the end of someone else's life I, is a scary thought, you know? Um, and, you know, ironically in my next relationship I got into, I kind of started out, you know, to be the love of my life and amazing. And then I ended up again in a situation that was probably the final karmic lesson that I would ever have to learn if I ever had to if I had to go through that to learn the karmic lesson and never repeat it in this lifetime or any other I've done it mm, those karmic lessons I'm so familiar with them because <laughs> you, you end up I, I having it been in that position of pain again and going oh shit that's the same lesson that I learned <laughs> in, in that situation or with this guy or whatever and I yeah I'm the same the 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 toughest lessons I, I I don't learn them easily and sometimes it's a repeating pattern that I end up there again <laughs> just to make doubly sure that the universe is letting me know that I've learned it so you're not alone <laughs> sometimes it definitely takes us <laughs> more than one go around yeah and I think it you know speaking back to the boundaries you know there's I learned so much in the aftermath of that um I didn't expect to be having this conversation here, but it's relevant to even the work situation, right? Where um, we hear a lot about people saying, oh, set healthy boundaries. Mm-hmm. And yet when you step back, you think, what does that really mean? A lot of us don't really even know what that means. And until you actually, then I kind of came across some resources where I really learned some new things about this variety, all these different range of types of boundaries. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a woman who is a coach for specific reasons, people going through particular hard times with mm-hmm. um, particularly challenging um, people dealing with very challenging emotional disorders, which I realized that's what my partner had been. But mm-hmm. when you start seeing, here's all these seven different kinds of boundaries. And 
it's this is what it looks like when those get tread on and you start seeing all these different things and you're thinking wow here's all these different arenas in my life where i didn't ever think of them as boundaries you know you're just navigating and trying to you know be nice and get along and whatever um, but when you start seeing that even things like time when someone is really um, invading on your sense of time where they won't let you they won't honor you know how you need to work how you need to accomplish things um even though they want to you know but they don't let you do it um, a lot of little things when you start learning how boundaries work um all of a sudden it just flips a switch and you can see life very differently and you can see your work very differently and then you start seeing how boundaries play a role with your projects how you manage your own time how you deal with people how you communicate um I start looking at it even from a customer experience perspective and see, well, how are businesses really respecting what a customer, what a per person as a normal human being, as a consumer out there living life, um, they've got all these emotional considerations. Mm -hmm. Only now, and maybe in the past couple of years, are we hearing that really talked about in, in CX, right? Mm -hmm. um, even I remember trying to write blogs, maybe even five, four or five years ago, and people I work with would be saying, well, I get it, but it's too touchy-feely. <laughs> and now I can post those and, and people are all over it. So yeah. it's really an interesting time in history uh, in business. And especially COVID has had that impact, right? Where um, now business is the idea that you have to be much more empathetic in your communications and in the kind of experiences you deliver. Uh, that yeah. is just monster now, right? Where it just was barely a thing four years ago yeah I guess it's still not that well understood so it, perhaps it still feels like a panacea we're yet to conquer in terms of CX and more broadly business how empathy I think you know, it's been said for a long time is the key to everything in CX but we still can't quite put our finger on how it works um but just to reflect on a couple of points that you said there really around boundaries I think kind of taking us right back to the start of the conversation when you feel a sense of a red flag going up or your intuition sparks that is usually when somebody is crossing one of your boundaries isn't it or yeah. like if they're um if they've done or said something that really kind of triggers a value of yours and you know mm -hmm. as you, you're like me you're driven by your true north your own set of purpose and values of so clear to you you only want to work within for people who share those um that sense of values and, and boundaries i just have to ask like kind of a final question really because like i i don't know how as a, a woman of such strong principles right now it must be hard living in trump's america and with <laughs> the elections coming up soon <laughs> i hope you don't mind me treading into that space but i just i'm curious um having not been in the states for a while like how how is that going like for for someone who wants to spread love and being faced with so much hate how are you kind of coping with that i have to I mean, there's a lot i could say about it that i won't but um <laughs> <laughs> let's say for the past four years it's been very painful very embarrassing very frustrating to be an american um and being a woman in america mm. um but the flip side is it makes me that much more determined um, having had a narcissistic partner and really learning a lot about narcissistic abuse it's that much more difficult for me to see what he's what trump's doing to our country because i see that's 
he, that's what he gets away with. Um, and he, a big part of it is basically, basically yeah. a narcissist is it your is. president. Yeah. <laughs> and it's very frustrating. But I also learned the only way you ever deal with them, the only way to conquer them is you ignore them. That's the only thing that, you know, is cuts off their life's blood, basically. So it doesn't mean that I won't read the news. I do, but I won't watch anything about him. I don't um, engage in anything political about him. I'm really not going to put any energy into that. And instead, I'm going to focus on what I can change, which is me and how I deal with the world, um, putting my energy into doing uh, bringing my best game to my work um, and my best game to my personal life and looking at how I want to live my life. Um, it's often, you know, I've put off doing a lot of overseas travel. Um, I wanted to live and work overseas for a long time. And I put that off usually because of relationships. And then I was really going to kick it up a notch um, being single again. And then COVID happened. So. Uh, yeah, because we, we started talking about that, didn't we, when we had our yeah. Zoom call? Because I've right. been doing my digital nomad thing for the last couple of years and now I'm locked, locked, landlocked in England. But you've got the same dream too, haven't you? To, Absolutely. And uh, living with this particular president, even if he yeah. wasn't president, I would still want it. But more than ever, you kind of wish that you could be living, uh, you know, in the outback of Australia or something, you know, as far away from as possible. <laughs> Yeah, no, I get you, I get you. So um, unfortunately, that's all we've got time for today. Um, but if you were to give some closing advice to the women in CX out there, what would your kind of key messages be for them? Well, it would probably circle back to a lot of what we've talked about here, which is, um, you know, never stop fighting the good fight. You know, if your intuition says this is the right thing for the customer uh, and you're working with businesses who, you know, they're very close to the business. They, these are good people that have good intentions, right? But mm -hmm. they're usually too close to the business to see it from a customer's perspective. Your goal, your role is to always think like a customer and bring that to the table, keep bringing that to the forefront so people really can, can have an intimate understanding, an empathetic understanding of what it means to be the customer for that business and uh, what it's really going to take to make that an experience and to remember that, you know, people are having an experience, whether you like it or not, it's going to be good, better, and different. And if it's bad, then you're going to lose them. If it's indifferent, um, then you're wide open to being swallowed up by competition. So it's only if it's good to exceptional, are you going to keep customers? And if you keep reminding your clients of that, <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, and using your intuition about what you know is the right thing for customers, uh, I think maybe you have a chance to move the needle because you can help them figure out how to work internally mm -hmm. to make those little shifts because a lot of times it's internal culture that's just not there mm -hmm. yet. And, uh, you know, every little bit helps. Mm -hmm. Yep, yeah, I agree. That's awesome. Okay, well, thanks ever so much for being on the show. I hope things cool down um, in San Francisco. <laughs> I, I really hope that you don't get any more wildfires. Um, uh, you've been worrying about that. <laughs> uh, thank you so much. I super appreciate you allowing me to contribute here. It's an awesome, awesome thing that you're doing here to get women's voice out there in CX. Oh, it's been amazing to have you. So just like to say thank you to all the listeners. Please do join us again next week. I'll see you all soon. Bye for now. Bye, Gavin. Thanks for listening to the Women in CX podcast with me, Claire Muscat. 
If you enjoyed the show, please drop us a like, subscribe and leave a review on whichever platform you're listening or watching on. And if you want to know more, please join us at womenincx.community and follow the Women in CX page on LinkedIn. Tune in again next week to hear Hannah Foley talking about the story behind her business Yak CX and the challenges of balancing her career with motherhood and the similarities with climbing Mount Everest. See you all next week.